So happy new year. Good to see you in God's house. What a better place, what better way to start a brand new year than to come together. I know a lot of people are kind of standing over a stove today looking at those collards and black eyed peas, but you chose to be here and I am glad. By the way, who's, who's going home to college and Black Eyed Peas today? Our mama's house or somewhere, right? All right, so we've got some superstitious people here. I know how that works. Well, uh, that's not my sermon today. You can relax. Um, what a great year we had in 2016, and now it's time for us to get started with a new year. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to turn with me toward the back of your Bible in the New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's stand as we open God's Word together, and let's look at verses 6 through 8 today, and ask the Spirit of God to illuminate the, the principles behind every precept that we read. Beginning with verse 6, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, his son in the faith, and And the young pastor he's mentoring, he says, if you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, nourished by the words of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed, but have nothing to do with irreverent and silly myths. He's not just talking about collards and black eyed peas on New Year's Day there. But there was some false teaching that was going around. He says, rather train yourself in godliness for the training of the body has limited benefit. But godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth without any mixture of error. And Lord, we thank you that when we live our life according to to the principles of this book, that we can have success, not as the world would define it, but we can live a life pleasing in your eyes, Lord. And that's our desire. Lord, as we begin a new year, Lord, help us to to seek your face like never before. Help us to have the eyes to see where you're at work. And Lord, as we look at your word this morning, help us to understand the spiritual discipline that we need in our life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Glad to see so many of you on New Year's Day. Glad to see guests. We've got, we've got uh, several guests that I've met this morning, and we've got guests that uh, are all the way from Tennessee and North Carolina, so glad that you're here with us. If you're a guest, be sure to see me on the way out because I want you to take a jar of local honey home with you, and uh, that's our, our gift to you for choosing to worship with us today. Anybody watch any football yesterday? Now you're saying, well, what in the world does that have to do with this text, right? I watched a good bit of football yesterday myself, and um, it's kind of, I guess uh, yesterday was kind of like a New Year's Bowl day, the way it all shaped up this year. Watched a lot of football, but in fact, watching college football is a lot like studying the life of the church in America today. So how is that? Well, what you had is... On the football field at any given time, 22 athletes that have worked hard, that have disciplined themselves, that are are doing things with their body above and beyond what they ever thought. They're pushing themselves to limits, they're giving their all, they're doing their very best. And while there are 22 of them on the field at any given time, 
working themselves to death, doing the very best they can to, to, to leave it all on the field, there are thousands in the stadium and countless millions around the country who are watching intently and criticizing almost everything that they do. Criticizing um, that they didn't run the right play or that they didn't execute the play right. And in fact, there are thousands upon thousands, even millions, who are physically as in uh, as bad a shape perhaps as I am or worse criticizing what those athletes who have taken care of their bodies, who have worked real hard and who are giving their all, criticizing them on how they're playing the game. It's easier to be kind of an armchair quarterback, isn't it? And sometimes in the church at any given time, there might be 22 people that are busting their tail to serve and to accomplish things. And if we're not careful in North America today especially, there will be thousands of people who call themselves part of one team or another that are criticizing why all of those who are taking care of themselves and working hard to accomplish things for the kingdom of God. So church can often be a lot like football. And certainly the world is watching the church to see how we execute. Nobody watched a football game yesterday to say to ourselves, you know, how do they huddle? What does their huddle look like? Where does the quarterback stand when they huddle? How loud is he in the huddle? Nobody watched the game to see how they huddled. What everybody wanted to know is after they had huddled and they lined up and they began to execute the play, did having huddled make any difference in how they executed? So it kind of deals with a couple of areas that we're going to look at in God's Word today. How can we shape up as a church? How can we shape up as individual Christians? How can we embrace a strategy that we can say in 2017, we're going to be in the best condition of our lives? And I pray that all of us will make a commitment by the conclusion of this message to say, I want in 2017 to be in the very best shape of my life, the best condition. Now, we will do that. A lot of us will start new diets, physically speaking. Uh, we will start new exercise strategies. Some will last two weeks. Some will last a month, two months, three months. And some of you will develop lifetime habits that will, uh, will kind of stick with you. I was reading about some of the craziest diets out there that, are taking, that have taken place over the past century or more. You know, at the turn of the 20th century, there was a diet actually called the tapeworm diet. And I've heard that in some circles it has re-emerged to where you're just kind of like, just ingest a tapeworm and then eat anything you want to eat and let the tapeworm handle all of that for you. Now some of you are looking at each other like, man, that just sounds gross. I don't want, I don't want to take the, the route of the tapeworm. Here's another crazy one, the cotton ball diet. This is not something that was created by the movie Elf. Um, some of you know the scene that I'm talking about, but it was really uh, a time where people began to eat cotton balls because cotton balls have zero calories and they're very filling. And so people would eat cotton balls in this diet plan, although it gave their digestive tract some problems later on. In the 1930s, there was the slimming soap diet where people would actually ingest what was called a slimming soap. Basically, later they found out that it was about the same consistency as what we would call hand soap today. 
but it was supposed to cause you to lose weight. And there was one brand of soap actually called Fat Off. I'm not sure how that one worked out. In the 1920s, several doctors began to prescribe cigarette smoking as a diet plan. That anytime you feel hungry, just light up a cigarette. Well, then they found out that smoking causes lung cancer, and people were dying quicker with lung cancer and heart disease by smoking than they were by eating. And so the, the cigarette diet plan, some are still on it, but it uh, isn't healthy. There's the Sleeping Beauty diet plan. It's the diet plan that Elvis actually embraced, that if you start feeling hungry, go to sleep. Take a nap. Sleep off the appetite. If you have to take some kind of drug to help you go to sleep, you just go to sleep. And it causes all kinds of other addictions, as much fun as the Sleeping Beauty diet sounds. Then there was the Blue Vision diet, to where people would walk around with these glasses that kind of look like the 3D glasses to help you see everything in blue, because uh, researchers have said that the color blue suppresses your appetite. Maybe we should paint... Every wall in our house is blue, right? But the color blue suppresses that, so they, they walk around with the, the blue-tinted lens glasses. And then uh, one of the craziest ones that I read about, 1903, it was invented by Horace Fletcher, and he called it the 32 Chews diet. And he believed that you could put uh, food in your mouth, nutritious food and non-nutritious food alike, but you chew it 32 times no matter what you eat, and whatever slips down uh, during the 32 chews, that's what you digest. Anything that you cannot chew up, uh, that would be completely liquefied after 32 chews, you would spit that back out, and he called it the 32-chew diet. I would have a, a problem with that as well, and so did Mr. Fletcher. Eventually, he struggled with malnutrition himself. So, crazy diets, and you're saying, I don't think I want to embrace any of those. But do you realize there's just as many crazy diet plans spiritually? Paul warned Timothy of some crazy things that they were ingesting in the church in the first century. In verse 3, he says they forbid marriage. They demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing should be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. That's why we pray before meals. Maybe we should pray afterwards and give God thanks for his blessings. But he's saying you're worried about all of these physical Diets, and some of them were based on Old Testament dietary law codes. They were, they were given to a nomadic people, and these Old Testament dietary law codes were to preserve a people as they entered into, in, in primitive days, a time. Keep in mind, in the Old Testament, when you read these diet plans based on Old Testament dietary law codes, it, it was at a time that they were moving into a region. They were a nomadic people, and they had to, they had to sustain life. The people of God, the, the, the Jewish people, it was not only um, a faith, it was a race. It was an ethnicity in the Old Testament as, as the faith began with a family, with Abraham. And so they had to preserve, they had to avoid any kind of pandemic. So many of the dietary laws were to help preserve a people of faith so that some pandemic didn't just completely wipe them 
out. So we always need to know the principle behind the precept and live the principle and be careful of how we interpret the precept of that day. Or a lot of ladies would be in trouble this morning for uh, having their ears pierced and wearing makeup and things like that. And so always find out the principle behind the precept. There were weird dietary law codes that were being forced upon the New Testament church and a lot of strange teachings that Paul had to tell Timothy and others that, uh, to whom he wrote letters. You don't get all caught up into these legalistic standards. Remember, Jesus confronted Peter in Acts chapter 10. This is one of the favorite chapters of a lot of men here where he tells Peter in a vision to arise and when there were these unclean animals, according to Old Testament dietary law codes before him, he told Peter, arise, kill, and eat. Absolutely. He said, man, get up and, 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 and kill that hog and eat you some barbecue, Peter. It's not going to be bad, especially in moderation. And so, there's nothing wrong with Old Testament dietary plans or diets that you embrace or diets that I embrace, physically speaking. Nothing wrong with those diets if it's a matter of personal stewardship. When we say, hey, I want to take care of myself so that I feel at my best in order to invest myself into God, into the kingdom, into my family, and other things. So as a matter of personal stewardship, Nothing wrong with physical exercise, physical diet plans, even embracing an Old Testament dietary code. But the problem is when, this, when that diet, when, when what you're eating physically becomes a standard of righteousness by which you measure your own walk with God or you begin to measure somebody else's walk with God. The problem is when we focus on the outer man more than we focus on the inner man. And that's where I want us to, to kind of move to with this passage today, is to change our focus. At the first of the year, we all begin to think about the outer man. Keep in mind what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 16, Paul says that our outer man is doing what? It's perishing. You see, New Year's Day puts you one day closer to heaven than you were yesterday. The outer man is perishing but he says the inner man is being renewed day by day. See, see we're, to, as believers, to focus on having the inner man being in the best shape we can possibly be, spiritually speaking. So the best condition of our life, the best condition that I want to challenge you this morning to pursue in the year 2017, the best condition is when you are in your best condition spiritually and you have focused on the inner man like never before. Well, what's the key? The key is the same as that which we would apply to the outer man, which is the rules of diet and exercise. Pastor Robbie, you, you just made fun of all these diet plans, and you just said it's not about diet, it's not about what you eat, it's not about exercise. I'm talking about a spiritual diet and spiritual exercise. Let's look at the first part of that for a moment this morning. Steady diet. What, what should be our steady diet? See, we, we have to eat right. We, we really do. We have to eat right. And, and I'm not speaking about physical food. I'm talking about spiritual food here. Look back with me at verse 6, where we began. He says, if you point these things out to the brothers, what is Paul telling Timothy to point out? He has laid the foundation building up to this. 
even the verses we looked at previously, verses 3, 4, and 5, but so many other things that he had to say in this letter to Timothy. And he's saying, I want you to point out there are some things that they need to avoid. There are some lies out there. There are some false teachings out there that they don't need to buy into. And they need to know what those things are. They need to be able to recognize those things. And, and they need to be eating right and not putting the wrong things in their body. Psalm 1 begins the whole uh, book of Psalms this way. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not stand in the path of the sinner. He does not sit in the seat of the scoffer. He says there are certain places this man of God, this man who wants to be blessed by God, and I, I believe all of us would want to say that for 2017, we want to experience the blessings, blessings of God. He's not eating at the wrong places. He's not digesting the wrong types of food. He, he knows when to turn off social media and when to block certain things out. He realizes there are political agendas that are advancing secularism through education and legislation in other areas. Now, I know that many of us as evangelicals got at least somewhat relieved after the last election because we said to ourselves, it looks like there's going to be an administration who is at least friendly toward religious freedom and who is at least friendly toward uh, the right to life movement, some things that as evangelicals we care very deeply about. And so in that, we can thank God for a season of that. But at the same time, we have to realize that the overall political agenda in this nation has not changed. It has been a shift toward secularism and away from making Jesus Christ our standard for life and living. The church will always go against the grain when it comes to those things. So we need to be able to recognize those things. It may be a conservative form of secularism instead of a liberal form of secularism. But it's still moving us further and further away from our heart for the things of God and our trust completely in the Lord Jesus Christ to sustain us. Then there's the entertainment industry. Do we recognize the agenda, whether it's television programming, uh, movies that we go and see, that which uh, is thrown at us over the internet? Do we recognize the subtle agendas to pull us away from dependence on Christ, to distort the message of the gospel? Now listen, you, you can't make what not to eat the focus in your diet. That's why we, many of us physically, and, and, and I'm one of them, that have failed when it comes to diet plans, physically speaking, is because we get focused on what we can't eat. And you mean, you mean I can't have white bread? Bread? I've got to have bread. You mean I can't have pizza? You mean I can't eat chocolate? I can't. We focus on what we can't have. Diet plans work better when we are able to focus on things that we can have and we can get excited about those things that, that are good for us. Well, we can't focus when it comes to our spiritual diet on those things we have to avoid. I could spend the rest of our time this morning and for the next several weeks, talking about things we need to avoid as believers, feeding ourselves. But you know what those things are. Where we need to turn our focus is on those things that we should feed ourselves. Those things that we should embrace. Remember, I mentioned Psalm 
1, 1, blessed is man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of the sinner, sit in the seat of the scoffer. Verse 2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, on his word, his principles, his precepts, he meditates on that day and night. And then he will be like that tree planted by rivers of living water, which brings forth its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. If you want to be prosperous in 2017, meditate on the laws and the principles of the word of God day and night, he says. So look back at verse 6 with me. What does he tell him to do? Not only point out these things that you're to avoid as a good servant of Christ Jesus, he says you want to be nourished by the words of the faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Nourish. There, there's the, the Greek prefix in. It means to take it into your heart, take it into your mind. What is it that we are taking in? Well, it's the word of the faith. And then it's the teaching of the word of God. I think the, the ESV and the Holman Christian Standard translations get this right because in, in the Greek language, you do have the definite article there. It is not just the word of faith. There are a lot of word of faith movements out there you have to be careful of. It's the word of the faith. It's saying you need to know what you believe. You need to know why you believe it. In Jude, verse 3, he says that we need to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, we need to be taking in the word of God and the teaching of God so that we understand what we believe, we know why we believe it, we're able to defend it, in this world. Why do so many young people, when they go into college and, and, and become young adults, why do so many of them leave the church? It's because they had a poor diet often while they were in church. They might have been entertained. They, they might have had wonderful fellowships and activities, but so many of them, and, and, and here at Trinity we're doing so much to counter that culture, but, but so many of them have a poor diet when it comes to the faith, knowing what they believe, why they believe it, how to defend it, knowing the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, and knowing what it says, and knowing how to practically live it out. We're to nourish ourselves with the Word of the faith, and then he speaks of the good teaching. Some translations say the sound doctrine. In other words, going beyond that shallow entertainment. I was encouraged. You have to know the way I think and, and teach to understand where I'm coming from. I was encouraged after the conference that our youth came back from, and they were on great concerts, great speakers, and all that, that my daughter said. And there, but there was one speaker that, you know, I just didn't enjoy him so much because he, he was like a great motivational speaker, but he just kind of, he said some things that, that motivated you, and he just kind of tagged it with a few scriptures here and there. But he really did not open the Bible and teach us from the Bible the Word of God. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm so proud. I'm, so, I'm, I'm glad that you grasped that when somebody's not teaching the Bible from the Bible and telling you what it says and explaining what it means. Listen, you can flip the channels and find all kinds of motivational speakers on your religious networks teaching all kinds of crazy things that will make you feel good and feel excited and they're full of passion and you're ready to go turn the world upside down. But doctrinally, a lot of times it's just heresy or there's no substance. It's just 
shallow and we don't grow deeper in the things of God as a result of it. Avail yourself to the Word of God, your personal time in the Word of God. If you want to be in the best shape of your life, avail yourself to Bible teaching and Bible preaching and corporate worship and in small group Bible studies. Be a part of a life group, a men's study, a ladies' study. Turn the radio station over. It's harder to find now. Thank God for podcasts and things like that. Some of you remember a day where you could find a Christian radio station where there was Bible teaching like all day long. And I remember when I was a student at Emmanuel College, did I learn a few things in college? Hopefully I did. I had some good professors that taught me Bible and theology. But you know, every day for about three years as a commuter, I would begin my day by driving from Diamond Hill to Franklin Springs listening to Chuck Swindoll. Five days a week, Chuck Swindoll in the morning. And on the way home every day, it was Dr. Tony Evans, a Bible expositor. And I would hear Tony Evans. So I heard 10 sermons at least. I heard other Christian Bible teaching programming throughout the week. But I, I would always, just in my time driving to and from college, every day for three years, two, uh, two sermons a day, 10 sermons a week. And now even ministry students have a hard time listening to a 30-minute session of somebody preaching and teaching the Word of God. We've lost our appetite for the good food that trains us in righteousness, not to mention how little importance we place on being in a place of worship where, where the man of God has prepared the Word of God to teach us, to help us grow, to feed us spiritually, and then by and large, the overwhelming majority never learn to feed ourselves the Word of God and feed ourselves spiritually. We, we feel like, well, I'm a member of the church, so I'm good to go. On my way to heaven, praise God. You know, high school homecoming courts and, and, and funerals have something in common. This may sound kind of crazy to you, but, but I've always noticed something about um, when it's homecoming game, Friday night, high school football game. Going all the way back to my high school days, this has been the case. But you're standing there, how many of you have experienced this before? You're standing there, and, and they're announcing the homecoming court, and, and so the, the young lady comes out, and they go, she is a member of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and I'm thinking, man, I'm an FCA huddle leader, and I haven't seen her there before. Um, she's a member of the youth group at such and such Baptist church. I go to that church, I've never seen her there before. She helped out with the food drive. There's other kids going, she did? They're naming all these things. And then we come to the end of life and there's the funeral. And you've been to those funerals. And I beg of you, please don't make it this difficult for me one day if I do your funeral. But, but you go to those funerals. And they're saying, man, he was an active member of such and such church. You're like, active? He served as a deacon. She served as the head of the women's men. Really? Were they really availing themselves to the Word of God? Now listen, in some cases you're like, yes, absolutely, praise God. They were a part of what God was doing. At other times you find yourself just like at that homecoming night. Were they really? Were they really that involved? Were they really availing themselves to the things of God? We wonder why the church is becoming biblically illiterate. 
there's more accessibility to the Word of God. There's more accessibility to Bible teaching and preaching than ever before, but we're not availing ourselves to it. We're not having ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. It's as if we're starving to death at a buffet because we're just going for all the unhealthy stuff rather than what nourishes us toward godliness. So if you want to be in the best shape of your life in 2017, get seriously about feeding yourself and the Word of God and availing yourself to the teachings of the Word of God like never before. Make that a priority in your life. So it's diet. You, you, you have to eat right. If you want to be in the best shape of your life, that best shape is spiritual condition, you've got to eat right, spiritually speaking. But it goes further than that. You can eat right. As many of us have discovered with our diet plans in the past, you can eat right, but if you do not exercise, you could still find yourself in trouble. So let's look at spiritual disciplines for a moment because you have to exercise. Now, eating right alone is good. But even with a, a good protein diet, if you don't work that muscle, that muscle will not form. James 1.22 says, do not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Do what it says. Put it into practice. Verse 7 in this text, after he talks about their nourishment and their eating right, he says, have nothing to do with irreverent or silly myths. Remember, you don't eat the wrong stuff. Rather, train yourself... You might underline that word train. He says, train yourself in godliness. The word there for train in the Greek, gymnazo or gymnazo, we get our word gymnasium from that word. Gymnasium. The word originally meant to remove all hindrances or distractions. The Greeks would basically say, in using this word, they were saying, exercise almost naked. They, they were saying, anything that will distract you from your exercise for, the, for that early Olympian, that early athlete, remove all distractions and remove all hindrances when you exercise. And that's what the word, we get our word from gymnasium, originally meant. However, by the time Paul is writing this, it came to mean simply exercise vigorously. If you're going to do it, do it vigorously. Or as a friend of mine used to say in the weight room, man, lift those weights like you own them, not like you borrowed them. He said, exercise vigorously. If you're going to do it, it's worth doing right, it's worth doing well, man, get after it. So it's, here's a, a vigorous exercise and, and in verse 10, the language is a little bit different. It's also found in other places in the Scriptures as well. But he's, he says, in fact, we labor and we strive for this. The striving there means to agonize. To, 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 as Paul would say elsewhere, press on toward the high calling of God. Agonize, discipline yourself, train yourself for this. It means do it when you don't feel like it. What did the author of Hebrews say? He said, listen, no discipline feels pleasurable at the time. So if you, physically speaking, if you wait till you feel like exercising, guess what? Most of us aren't going to do it. I mean, 
I'll tell you what, in the morning, I'll get up at 5.30, and I'll go run a mile if I feel like it. I can tell you right now, I'm not going to feel like it. I am not going to feel like it. If you live by that principle, some of you would not go back to work, period. If you, well, when I feel like it, I'll be there. Try using that with your employer. Hey, you're going to be back in the office. You're going to be back at work. You're going to be back in the classroom. Well, if I feel like it. Discipline means to do what we don't feel like doing because it is the right thing and the necessary thing to do to accomplish our goals in life. And if we have spiritual goals, we need spiritual disciplines to help us reach those goals. And so he says in, in Hebrews, it's not pleasant, but it's painful. At the time, it is also productive, however, to accomplish what God's trying to do in our lives. Why do we do all that? Back in verse 6, he says, because if you want to be a good servant, you're going to practice those things that you're taking in. You're going to exercise, not just eat right. So we want to be good at everything else. We want a good diet plan. We want our kids to be successful in life, and so we push them academically, we push them athletically, we push them in the arts, but how do we encourage them when it comes to the spiritual things, when it comes to exercising in the things of God? What about all these other things? Aren't they good? Isn't it good to be involved? We don't want our kids sitting around playing video games when they could be studying, when they could be exercising, when they could be playing a sport. When they Listen, all this is good. Verse 8, he says, the training of the body has limited benefit. But it does have benefit. There is some profit. Some translations say little profit. It profits little, but it does profit. There, there is something to gain in all of that, but it's speaking here emphatically of the fact that it is nothing compared to being who we're supposed to be spiritually speaking. He's saying, listen, we work on all the other things that profit us just a little bit, being our best academically and athletically and in the arts, but what are we doing spiritually to be at our best? What are we doing spiritually so I can be a good servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? See, the problem is when we begin to compare everything else we make time for to our spiritual disciplines. When I was in high school and played football, at least cheered on my teammates while they played football. No. I re- there were two chalkboards we were very familiar with. Two chalkboards. Young people know what chalkboards are. Do they all still have chalkboards? It's dry erase and PowerPoint and, and projection. I realize that. We had chalkboards. We had a chalkboard in the field house, and we had a chalkboard in the weight room. Now, the chalkboard in the field house had lots of X's and O's on it. After we would study the game film from our previous game and the game we were about to play, we would see that the X's and O's would be upon the board and we would learn what plays we were going to run. We would learn the plays that the other team could run. We didn't have huddle back then. If you don't know what huddle is, parents, it's where you can go and watch videos of any game played from kindergarten through um, college, I guess, nowadays. But we didn't have huddle. We couldn't go online and watch the other team play football. But we watched uh, one of those old reel-to-reel films in black and white, and it was kind of bad, so the coaches would get up there and they'd draw it up, X's and O's. 
And you had to learn to execute the X's and the O's. You had to learn to run the plays. You had to learn to stop the plays that the other team was going to run. That was one of the chalkboards. But really, to be ready for the game, that probably wasn't the most important chalkboard we had to study. See, there was another chalkboard, and that was the chalkboard in the weight room. That was the one when we showed up for our our physical fitness class, or showed up after school or before school, whenever we did our workout, that it had reps. And it might have one, two, three, four, and five, and you're going to do bench press. You're going to do curls. It's lower body today. You're going to do squats today. You're going to do deadlifts today. Whatever the case may be, but those workout reps, there was a regimen we had to follow. And if we weren't doing that, it didn't matter how well you knew the X's and O's, you were not going to be ready. Now listen, when it comes to the faith, we need to know our X's and O's. We need to be students of the Word of God. We need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. We need to be able to defend it. But if we're not exercising, if we're not putting certain things into practice, if we're not becoming stronger in who we are by by applying what we believe, then we're not going to be ready for the things that the opponent, the devil, the world, the flesh, those things that are going to be thrown at us. We're not going to be a good servant. So there's a workout regimen. Now, in closing, I want you to think about what needs to be on that workout regimen for you in the year 2017. Now, some of you have already decided what you're going to do when it comes to bodily exercise. I'm going to start walking. Great, do that. I'm going to start running. That's a little crazy. I'll leave that to Pastor Ben. I'm going to start running. I'm going to, I'm going to start eating, you know, good foods. I'm going, to eat, I'm going to eat, you know, Jeff's going to eat his vegetables in 2017. It's going to be one, right? We're going, to, we're going to do all these things outwardly. What are you going to do when it comes to spiritual discipline? Richard Foster has written a classic called Celebration of Discipline. Some of you need to write it down. You need to take that new Kindle you got for Christmas out or that new laptop, go online, either get the uh, e-version of it or go to Amazon and order it, have it shipped to you. I saw that used copies are available for as little as one penny. But Richard Foster's classic, Celebration of Discipline, will lay out a wonderful workout regimen. But what I want to do in our time left is just summarize a few of those things. Because if you walked in to one of my chalk talks on spiritual formation, here are some things I would tell you we need to work on a little bit to be in the best shape of our life when it comes to spiritual disciplines. And so this is just a condensed version of some of the things that Foster talks about in Celebration of Discipline. First of all, time in the Word of God. We might call this study and instruction. Now this really overlaps with the first principle that we talked about in eating right, but we need a spiritual discipline when it comes to our personal time in the Word of God and time in the Word of God corporately so that we're under the teaching of the Word of God by people who have studied and prepared themselves to present the Word of God. So time in the Word of God. How are you doing in that area? How did you do in 2016? As a student of the Word of God, were you involved in personal private Bible study? Were you involved in a small group, and then did, did you avail yourself to the preaching and teaching corporately on a regular basis? What about the second area, worship and celebration? That's a spiritual discipline. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We're to come together. We're to exhort one another. 
And so have you availed yourself to worship and celebration both personally in your own life, your own personal time of worship and adoration of our Lord, and corporately, the body of Christ? Will you make commitments to add that to your regimen to say, you know what, I can't miss worship. I've got to be a part of corporate worship to be at my very best in 2017. Areas of prayer, meditation, and fasting. Prayer, just, you can use an acrostic-like acts to remember all that we're to be about in our prayer life. A-C-T-S. Adoration, adoring God. It goes back to our worship, right? Confession, I'll come back to that one in a moment. Thanksgiving, and then supplication, praying for others. And meditation, just taking time to meditate on the principles and precepts of God. Some of us need to learn the habit of opening our Bible in our times of prayer, maybe getting on our knees before the Word of God and just meditating on what it says and asking, how does this apply to my life? If you struggle with putting Bible study and meditation together, I want to challenge you to start doing something that will help you out tremendously, and that is journaling. Get you a journal or, or get one of these Bibles. I know that my wife and daughter has one that, that, where you can take notes on like real thick margins where you can journal, you can make notes, you can write prayers and those things. Begin to do that, prayer and meditation, and then fasting. Listen, fasting isn't something that we do so that we can say, God, I went three days without food. Aren't you impressed with who I am? Now will you bless me because I've so impressed you with my fasting? That's not what fasting is all about. Fasting is when for a very short period of time, you lay aside those things you have appetites for. Predominantly in Scripture, it was food. There might be other things. You might need to fast, some of you young people, video games for a little while. Your cell phone, right? But you, something you have appetites for that is neutral, that you don't necessarily have to have, right? But you lay it aside for a while, and when the appetite emerges for those things, you use that hunger and you channel it towards your prayer life so that you pray with greater passion and fervency, and God begins to answer that prayer. Because now you're praying more seriously than you've prayed before. So fasting is to get yourself in a condition to hunger for the things of God. It's not to impress God that you did without. Then areas of personal holiness. Take time to be holy. Take time to say, God, what things do I need to eliminate from my life to live a holy and godly life before you? Confession and repentance. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So have a set time where you keep short accounts with God, and you say, Lord, if, as the psalmist prayed in Psalm 139, 23 and 24, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way within me, Lord. And as God reveals those things, confess it to him. But not only confessing to God, 1 John 1, 9, confessing your sins to one another. James chapter 5 tells us that we begin to experience healing, and I believe it means that we can experience healing from sinful addictions when we learn to confess to one another. Baptists came along years ago, many, many years ago. The Anabaptist movement said, listen, we don't have to confess our sins to a priest, and that's true. There's one mediator between God and man. That is the man Christ Jesus. But we do need accountability. And when we begin to confess our sins to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we begin to get victory over those sins because of the accountability that it brings into our life. So we need to confess to God and to others, especially when we've wronged others. And then service and using our spiritual gifts, being a part of that Romans 12 body life. 
simply means that, hey, part of my spiritual regimen is learning my position. See, everybody who played in one of those football games yesterday, they had a position and they had a responsibility that you didn't get to wear orange for Clemson just because you showed up. You learned a position to play. Now, I'd I'd rather had seen red and black yesterday, but we were stuck with orange. Did see some red and gray, but they lost pretty bad. They learned a position, and they showed up to play a position. And so for some of you, the spiritual discipline that you need to focus on this year, you might say, I'm doing a lot of these other things. Well, what's the position God has called you to play on his team? And use your spiritual gift that he's given you to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish by plugging in and playing that position. And then finally, and this is one that we often leave out or neglect, it's solitude and stillness. It doesn't always mean that you're in a time of prayer or Bible study. It's just where you learn, as the scriptures say, to be still and know that he is God. To to get away to a quiet spot. We all need solitude. And for some of you, you're like, yes, that's easy, man. I'm, I'm good at finding a place to just get alone and breathe and be still and reflect and know that he is God. For others of you, it drives you nuts to not be in a crowd. I remember when I was in student ministry, a young lady making this statement when everybody else had a date one night and they were all going out, and she didn't, and she goes, man, I don't even have a life. I was stuck at home on a Saturday night. So we need to learn to appreciate coming apart. Several mentors have said to me, if you don't come apart, you will come apart. (laughs) And so we need to get alone and still before God and quiet and turn off the cell phone and turn off the television and be still in his presence and know that he is God. You say, all this is is so difficult, this this workout regimen. It's so difficult for me, Pastor Avi. Man, I've tried before, just like all the physical diets and physical exercise, spiritually speaking, it's even harder because I'm going up against the enemy, the devil himself. When I try that, it's difficult. Well, let me try to simplify it. Pick one or two areas to start with. Don't try to accomplish all of those on that list. Pick one or two areas and say, I'm going to focus on this. And when you build that habit into your life, start another one. You build that habit, start another one. But focus on one, two at the most at a time. And after that, realize it is a spiritual battle. In Romans chapter 7, this is a good place. If you're like, where do I start reading? Write down Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul is saying, listen, man, there's some things I know I ought to be doing. There's some things I want to do, but I just can't do it. He's frustrated, right? And he goes, then there are some other things over here that I know I'm not supposed to be doing, and that's what I find myself doing. And this, this law is at work within me, he says. I'm always wanting to do that which I'm not supposed to be doing and I never want to do that which I'm supposed to be doing. Remember, it's discipline. But he comes to a place where he realizes it's not by his own works. It seems like as he's thinking this out as he's writing and he gets to chapter 8 and verse 1 and he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So wait a minute. I'm not, I don't have to earn or please God. I don't have to earn his favor. That's by grace that I've been saved through faith. And then he transitions to a discussion of the Spirit-filled life. He says, the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us when we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. See, there's a a cyclical aspect to these spiritual disciplines. You begin to exercise these, you become more sensitive and obedient to the Holy Spirit's work in your life. 
you begin to start each day with that quiet time, the next thing you know, you're asking God for a fresh feeling of his Holy Spirit throughout the day, and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You start to walk and live in victory because it's now Christ living in and through you rather than you trying to make it happen. But you got to get it started. And I think today is the day to do that. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the nourishment that feeds our soul in the word of God. And I pray that as we begin this brand new year, 2017, that we would embrace this new workout regimen. Lord, we would have new disciplines in our life, that we would eat right, that we would exercise spiritually. And Lord, while we have a lot of wonderful things we want to accomplish externally, help us to realize it's the inner man that you're about renewing. The outer man is... is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. Lord, we thank you for a new year, a chance to hit the pause button today, to reflect on how you've blessed us, but also to recommit our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be a, a body that shapes up the body of Christ, and that this body would be in the best shape we've ever been in 2017. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.